Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report Podcast, and today is October the 9th, 2023. It's been 3,513 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 228 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. The soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention unless a firmer position is taken. The Institute of the Study of War has aligned with our analysis that Russian forces have increased their ground attacks theater-wide in an attempt to exhaust Ukrainian resources before a resolution on continued United States aid is reached. The Kremlin is attempting to use the Israel-Hamas war as a distraction in the information space to fracture support for Ukraine further and has engaged in large-scale disinformation campaigns. Russian forces continued an increased number of attacks across the theater of war in an apparent attempt to exhaust Ukrainian resources before a resolution on continued United States aid is reached. The removal of the United States Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has put the ongoing Ukrainian offensive at extreme risk. We further assess that the abrupt ending of U.S. military aid will be catastrophic if a resolution is not reached within the next 17 to 24 days. Western partners continue to fail to deliver on their promised military training, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates. Ukrainian military leaders are not blameless, but these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities and enabling Russian forces to build new defensive lines. The inability of Russian military leaders to stop the ongoing Ukrainian offensive and retake the battlefield initiative has put significant pressure on Russian chief of staff Valery Gerasimov, who has been in charge of all Russian forces in Ukraine since January 2023. Finally, despite the current lull in missile and drone attacks, Russia is actively targeting Ukraine's energy infrastructure. We maintain that the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, but the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in Kharkiv. In the Kupiansk operational area, AO, 
Russian forces continued combat operations, but at a reduced tempo, with Russian attacks in the direction of Sinkivka and Ivanivka ending in failure. Let's talk about the situation in the Donbass, starting in Luhansk. In the Svatove AO, the Russian Ministry of Defense, Armod, claimed that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Novoselivske. If you listen closely, you can hear our map editor screaming, because they removed the battle icon from our war map on October the 7th. Russian forces continued attacks east and northeast of Makiivka, supported by armor. Despite significant losses, Russian troops were able to make new marginal gains east of the settlement. Further south, in the Kremenna AO, Armad claimed Ukrainian forces continued offensive operations near Dubrova, with no change in the situation. Russian troops are building up reserves in Kremenna, indicating that renewed offensive operations may be restarting soon. Following the line of conflict to northeastern Donetsk, we start in the Bakhmut AO. The Russian 200th Arctic Separate Motor Rifle Brigade attempted to advance in the direction of Bogdanivka, suffered losses and returned to their well-established defensive positions. There have been Ukrainian advances in Klishchivka AO, but I can't report specific details yet due to operational security. What I can share is that Ukrainian troops have pushed further east of Klishchivka and Andreevka and are pressuring Zelenopilla. We had previously assessed that Ukrainian forces would attempt to drive south through Zelenopilla after they secured positions east of the railroad grade, making their continued Russian defense of Kurdyumivka more challenging. In southwestern Donetsk, Russian commanders continue to execute piecemeal attacks over one or two days and then pause to restore combat potential. The only report of fighting came from the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine, stating that Russian attacks on Avdiivka were repulsed. Marinka? Yes, Russian troops did Russian things, and there has been no change. In the Vogledar AO, Russian forces maintained tradition by attacking Novomikhailivka, suffering losses and retreating, as they have done for 590 days. Finally, northwest of Staromlinivka, Armod claimed Ukrainian forces were still on the offensive near Priyutne. The Staromlinivka AO is stable, despite the recent surge in fighting. In Zaporizhia, Brigadier General Oleksandr Tarnavsky, commander of the operational strategic group of troops Tavria, reported that Ukrainian forces carried out 1,212 fire missions, more than double the number of Russian artillery strikes. The Russian Aerospace Forces, VKS, carried out 11 airstrikes. The situation in the Orikhivayo remains highly dynamic. Operational tempo has slowed, although it may be weather-related. Positional fighting continued from the western edges of Verbove, along the Surovikin line, the northern and eastern edges of Novoprokopivka, and the western edge of Robotene. Ukrainian forces made marginal gains on the edge of Verbove, taking advantage of the reduced number of artillery strikes and Russian close-air support. In Novoprokopivka, Ukrainian forces once again entered the settlement, but could not hold the positions. 
Further east, Ukrainian forces made new advances, while west of Robotene, Russian forces made marginal gains. The Ukrainian 46th Brigade called the situation a quote-unquote temporary stalemate, with both combatants using probing attacks to find weaknesses. The unofficial spokesperson added that the Russian defense remains competent and Ukrainian forces have not exhausted their combat potential. Russian forces are remotely mining the approaches to the second echelon of the Surovikin line, taking advantage of the stalled Ukrainian offensive. This will complicate future advances, and the activity includes areas previously cleared of mines. In Free Kherson, Russian forces continued to destroy Kherson and Boroslav systematically. Kherson Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Oleksandr Prokudin said Russia carried out 53 fire missions on Free Kherson, firing 208 munitions, rockets and drone-delivered IEDs. Most of the shelling was during the overnight hours. Yesterday we reported on strikes on apartment buildings in the Dnipro district of Kherson. Prokudin updated his earlier report stating that 18 people were wounded, including two children. An 11-year-old girl suffered a severe head injury and is in a coma. Russian forces shelled the Church of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Kherson while services were ongoing, forcing parishioners to shelter in place. Several shells landed nearby, causing light damage to the building and wounding two people. In Antonivka, a man was killed during a Russian artillery strike. No other information was provided. Russian mail bloggers are claiming that Ukraine is planning a wet crossing attempt over the Dnipro River in the coming week. There is nothing actionable in the information space to indicate any attempt will be made, and such an attempt, right before the start of the wet season, seems highly improbable. In occupied Kherson, Russian collaborator Vladimir Malov was killed by a car bomb in Novakakhovka. Crimean Tatar insurgent organization Atesh claimed responsibility for the attack. Now, let's talk about theater-wide events. Where are the Shahid-136 kamikaze drones? It's been three days since the last attack. We cannot assess if this is due to the weather, building inventory for a larger-scale attack, or a supply issue, but the pause is unusual. Ombudsman Dmitro Lubinets announced that a criminal investigation has been launched after videos showed two military recruits being beaten at a training center in Ternopil. The Special Prosecutor's Office in the Field of Defense of the Western Region spokesperson Yulia Shevchenko said that a criminal proceeding for abuse of official power has been opened. Satellite images showed that the amount of railroad freight traffic between Russia and North Korea at the Tumangan crossing has significantly increased. 73 freight cars were staged at the border the largest number since the fall of 2022, when North Korea reportedly supplied winter uniforms and other non-lethal aid to Russia. Before my co-host and our executive producer Zarina Zabriskie takes over, here is geopolitical news. 
Before I start, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war as special reports through our Patreon. You can find a link in the podcast description. President of Moldova, Maya Sandu, said private military company Wagner Group was behind an attempted coup in early 2023. In an interview with the Financial Times, Sandu said that Russia has attempted to break her government by weaponizing natural gas supplies, cyber attacks and threats from Russian separatists in the unrecognized breakaway Republic of Transnistria. Sandu said that Russia is now, quote, trying to massively interfere in our elections using big money. The Czech Republic is reconfiguring its national defense policy, declaring the Russian Federation as the main threat to itself and the partner countries of NATO. And in other diplomatic news, the United States expelled two Russian diplomats in retaliation to two of its diplomats being ejected from Moscow in September. The U.S. has also expressed concern over the Russian State Duma's intent to withdraw from the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty of 1996. A 1962 treaty banned open-air and undersea nuclear tests, but still permitted underground blasts. While the U.S. has honored the treaty, Congress never ratified it. In August, Russia stated it would not walk away unless the U.S. restarted underground testing. Satellite images show that Russia, the United States and China are all working on improvements at their respective underground test sites. The last underground tests were conducted in 1990 by the Soviet Union, 1992 by the U.S. and 1996 by China. Since then, Pakistan, India and North Korea have done underground tests, while China is suspected of conducting one in 2020. Every time we mention Elon Musk, we get at least one angry message. We don't make the news, we just report it. Russian sources claim that Musk tried to arrange a meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in 2023, but Moscow rejected the offer. Kremlin officials say that Musk offered to fly to a country friendly to the Russian Federation to discuss, quote, the Ukrainian conflict. The Kremlin ultimately decided not to accept the offer because Putin allegedly felt it would be inappropriate. Now it's my pleasure to introduce Zarina Zabrisky with her continuing coverage from the front lines in Kherson. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Welcome to Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, coming to you from Kherson. I'm Zarina Zabrisky. My morning starts with explosions, sirens, and yoga. Downward dog, exhale, boom. Upward dog, inhale, boom. Explosions almost never stop, but you got to do yoga when you are reporting from Kherson. As we step outside to report, there are also clinking sounds of broken glass, 
as people are cleaning after the night's attacks. I get a phone call, help needed. We're by a very regular residential block with a little playground in front and an old man sitting on the bench and about 20 to 15 residents of Kherson, mostly in their 50s and 60s. As soon as a truck or a car arrives, loaded with wet wipes and diapers, they form a human chain and very swiftly the whole load goes inside. The reason they're working so fast is because there are drones in the sky and the city is constantly under shelling by the humanitarian distribution center. I meet Felix. Felix is from Crimea. Could you please introduce yourself briefly and tell us what you do? We're helping for people and uh, military. We try to make the best what we can. We bring a lot of things for civilian people, in not only in Kherson, for all Ukraine. We work uh, with uh, humanitarian foundations from all over the world. It's too hard to stay here in Kherson, Donetsk uh, region, Kharkov region. We bring food, bags and other things. I meet a young woman who is helping to unload mattresses and blankets. My name is uh, Marichka Dorosh. I'm founder of uh, charity uh, foundation Unity of Women. From first day uh, of uh, full-scale invasion, uh, I was volunteering. I didn't go away from Kyiv. We had uh, artillery weapons near uh, our house. Uh, it was very loud, a lot of fire. When uh, Russia bombed uh, Kyiv, uh, Big shop in when they bombed big shopping mall near our house, uh, big block with uh, windows uh, bro- were broken and uh, five windows were re- smashed uh, uh, outside uh, and uh, it was very hard and uh, because uh, I didn't want to go away, uh, I have I-, I lived the best my life in Ukraine, I. Uh, worked, uh, I had businesses. All, all this time I knew that uh, I will do uh, everything for victory of Ukraine because it's my country. I live here and uh, Russia is terrorist state. A lot of times I visited uh, different front lines, uh, front line zones. Uh, a lot of times uh, I was under uh, really bad fire. We were in Bakhmut in that day when uh, we were uh, Russian, Russia, Russians killed a uh, uh, few volunteers, but we, we stayed alive. And also we were in Avdiivka. Last nine uh, months I visited Kherson, Kherson area, about uh, uh, 100 uh, tons humanitarian aid I uh, bring to Kherson and Kherson area in summer when uh, uh, Ru- Russian people made uh, one more terrorist action on uh, 
Каховска ГЭС. And it was terrible because Херсон for me it's like my native city, but I am from Kyiv. I, I was born in Kyiv, but Kherson is my favorite city now. Another explosion nearby. We have to move on. The day in Kherson continues. In the background, you might hear noises as explosions still continue. They basically never stop. They go on throughout the day. They go throughout the night. Last morning, we got a phone call from a friend who asked us to come over as soon as possible because there were two killed by a Russian attack in his yard. As we arrived, we have discovered two bodies, one of a man in his 40s. He was just about to start trimming the trees and the ladder was on the ground right next to him. Around the corner, closer to another building, his sister was also on the ground, on the asphalt, dead. Uh, she was not killed immediately, unlike her brother. Then the neighbors dragged her there, and there she died before the ambulance has arrived. Ambulances are not arriving right away, and ambulances or police are extremely busy with this continuous attacks and consequences of the attacks. Big parts of the buildings were destroyed, windows are gone, balconies torn off. With the rain season starting, it was a thunderstorm and very heavy rain today. This presents a separate problem as people don't have any way to protect themselves and their property from the weather. Yesterday, the Attacks continued. Aerial bombs were dropped on Beryaslav, a smaller suburban town close to Kherson, where a hospital was hit and destroyed. And in Kherson, several other sites were also damaged. Overnight, there were more attacks. I woke up at 4.30 because the bed jumped and the windows jingled. So I ran in the hallway. It's recommended to be between the two walls away from the glass. I met with my colleague, Paul, whose room facing the side that was hit. So the impact was stronger in his room. And for a while, we stayed in the hallway. Looking at the Telegram channels, everybody hears the explosions. The closer you are, to it, the louder it is. We stayed there for about 30 minutes. There was another very strong explosion and eventually decided to get back to the bedrooms and get some sleep uh, so we can work today. And um, this morning at uh, around nine, I went outside to look at the site. It was about one minute walk from our building. I'm walking out of the house right now. This is nine o'clock in the morning. Now it's raining and the frames on the entrance windows were damaged in our building. Um, I understand that the building facing the park 
was damaged badly. As the thunderstorm growled in the sky, few of us standing there didn't know whether these were attacks or just weather. And then very heavy rain started flooding the scene. In one of the offices on the first floor, there was a big map of the world on the wall. And ironically, the part that represented Russia, the little wooden piece like a puzzle, fell off the wall, leaving just a dent in the wall from the piece of most likely aerial bomb that hit this building. And Ukraine stayed right there intact, even though the property was completely destroyed. The staff of the office looked happy. Later, we drive to another site of destruction. There, I meet a young pregnant woman. My name is Ina. Uh, I'm living in Kherson now in Central District. Every day I come to match a bomb. Every night, every morning, it's very terrible. My family live in uh, other uh, district Kherson, close Antonivka uh, Bridge. And uh, now today's come uh, avia uh, bomb. Today's and one avia bomb, a ten house. It's a crash. It's very terrible. Uh, we are shocked what what uh, my family must do because it's very. No, it's, it's scary. C scary, yes. Scary. It's scary. It's very... You are expecting a baby, right? Yes, I'm waiting a baby in December. In December. Do you know if it's a boy or a girl? It's a boy. It's a boy. Yeah. Well, we wish you a lot of luck. Thank you. We step inside the damaged hotel. My name is Maxim. I live in Kherson. And our town, our Kherson, every day, every day bombs. Every day, many bombs, many attacks, many uh, rockets. We not sleep every day. And uh, yesterday, uh, my hotel is uh, one or two bombs and uh, problem window, uh, all window. But people is uh, normal. People is normal. <sighs> the terrible. The Does way. it happen every day? Uh, yeah, every day, every day. As we head back home, to work on podcasts and articles, the explosions continue. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.